Right, guys. Well, we are still in Genesis. We're going to be Genesis throughout the summer. Go ahead and get your Bibles out. Today we're going to be starting in Genesis chapter 6, where we left off last time. guys know that um, I talked about a couple weeks ago, maybe you weren't here, but we talked about a couple weeks ago that the goal of this series is to uh, get to know God, okay? We're calling it Getting to Know God through Genesis um, because throughout the book of Genesis, we see God interacting with different people, and one of the best ways you can get to know someone is by watching how do they interact with other people, right? And so we talked about how God created man and all of creation. We saw that interaction. And then last week we saw God interacting with Adam and Eve. And today we're going to be looking at God and Noah. So to kick us off, we've got a short little video here. That's actually the first question. <laughs> Thank you for stealing my great segue, Daryl. Um, yeah, what is that? how is this not really biblically accurate, okay, as we think about the story of Noah? Where does it deviate from the Bible? Yeah. Yeah, so, I, you know, these are good questions. Didn't God bring the animals is what Alex said, right? Um, can anyone find the verse where it says God brought the animals or that Noah brought the animals? And kind of, we're in chapters 6, 7, and 8 is where you'd be kind of skimming there. Mainly 7 is where you might find the answer to that. What does 7.15 say? To tell us who brought him in? Yeah, they went in, right? So, and, and it says that a couple times. So, yeah, this is a good, um, one of the things we're going to be doing today is we're going to be asking the question, what surprises me about this text? What is not here that I thought was here, 
and what is here that I didn't even know was here, okay? So one of the things, like, when we learn about the stories in the Bible um, and when we're kids is God brings all... And this probably means more... Off, it's more likely that God's the one bringing the animals. It doesn't say Noah went running around with steak tied to him, you know, being chased by lions, hoping they would come inside. That's not really what it says. It just says they went in. And what I want to point out here is one of the things we're going to notice as we study this passage is that the things that we tend to emphasize in the children's Bible and the things that we tend to emphasize um, in the nursery is not what's being emphasized in this story, okay? Like, for example, how many nurseries are decorated with a Noah's Ark theme? Okay, you guys think about Noah's Ark theme? Noah's Ark is about the utter destruction of all humanity and animals, God's judgment on the world, terror, death, death by flood, okay? But we decorate all of our little kids' nurseries with it because we like animals, right? It's not really a story about animals. It just says, you know, all of them. They just, they were in there, okay? They are in the boat. All right, so yeah, so that's, what else does this deviate from the biblical account? Where else does it deviate? How, what, was, what did it say at the end there besides the St. Paul's, which is kind of a funny... Yeah, keep, no one said keeping a promise was easy, right? Who is it implying was keeping a promise? Noah. Noah didn't promise anything. All Noah did was get in the boat. Okay, so... I, I mean, like, the whole commercial was based on this idea. You can tell the whole commercial was probably made by someone who said, oh, yeah, I remember Noah's Ark from when I was a kid, thought they remembered it, made a whole commercial about it, and the punchline of the commercial has nothing to do with what the story's really about. If there's a promise made, it's made by God. And it's not made before, it's made after. Okay, the promise is, I'm not going to kill everybody on the earth again. Okay, so, yeah, so we, we can get away from what the actual story's talking about pretty quickly, right? Now, when we think about the story that we learned about growing up, what are the details that we tended to focus on? What are the ones you remember about Noah? Two by two. What else? What do you remember about Noah? Rainbow. What's that? Rainbow, rainbow right? You got he a rainbow. Old. Huh? He was old. He was old. <laughs> yep. How long did it rain? 40 days and 40 nights. Like, why do you remember that detail? You know, that's, that's one that just sticks with us. 40 days and 40 nights it rained. Okay? Any other details you remember? How big was the ark? You got that logged away anywhere? Some cubits, right? Lots of cubits, whatever those are. Okay? Well, our goal for today is we're going to look and see what is this story really about? Okay? What is it really trying to teach us? Now, Last, uh, last time, or maybe it was two times ago, we learned a principle of how do we understand what the Old Testament is telling us, okay? And so the last time we looked at this, we looked for repetition, okay? Do you guys remember this in, um, I think it was in the first time, right? Genesis 1 through 3. And we saw, it talks about God creating different things, and it repeated, and it was good, and it was good, right? And then we also looked for where, where does the author spend the most time? So the author spends one chapter explaining the creation of everything, and then he spends the next chapter explaining just the creation of humans, right? And that taught us that the humans are the important part. This is what we really need to focus on here. Well, today we're going to learn a new technique, okay, a new trick. 
it's always important when you're reading the Old Testament to look and see who's talking. Okay? Now, the author always gives more importance to the person who's talking. And not just who's talking, but like whose actual words are in quotation marks. Okay? So he might say, and Noah went and told his family this. And that's, you know, okay, so Noah's part of the story. But the one that the author really wants to focus on is the one that he is quoting, the one that is really talking throughout the story. So we're going to look throughout the story and see who's talking throughout this story, okay? Now we're going to split up actually into five groups, and we're going to take this big chunk in five chunks. And as you're in your groups, here's what I'm going to ask you to do, okay? So your goal as a group is to answer a few questions. So in your text, who is the main character? So think who's talking the most, who's the main character? Um, What is the main point of this section? So what's the author trying to tell us? What is one thing that surprised me in this section? So you might say something that I didn't expect to see, something was missing that I thought should be there. And finally, what is one question we have from this section? Okay, and it can be anything, okay? The Genesis accounts bring up some of the most questions ever asked about the Bible. And so we should ask questions as we read it, okay? So what question comes up? Now, I'm going to put you in groups, but here's the kind of group assignments that go with each of these. Please come up. I knew it was coming, and I have to go through the whole thing again. Okay. Um, All right. Never mind. I'll do the task right. Okay. So, why don't we... Um, we're going to split up into five groups, and let's count by five, and like we're in school, because it helps to make you work with different people. You're one, two, now up to three, four, five, you're four, you're four, there's always someone who forgets that you're four. You're <laughs> one, you're two, you're three, you're four, you're five, you're one, two, three, four, and five, one, two, three, four, and five, one, two, three, four, and five, one, and two. Alright, so ones can come here, twos in the front here, threes here, fours here, fives in the back. All the way to the back? Oh my god. Alright, fours. I know we're in real You guys are number two. You guys are Genesis 6, 9.
So wherever you guys are at, you can go ahead and turn your chairs. You can stay by your group, but turn your chairs so you can see up here. We're going to take a few minutes to kind of look through where we're at. Yeah, sorry if you're in no man's land. It's okay. You don't have to be a general where you are. Okay. All right, so, hmm, those are all supposed to come up one by one. That's going to be kind of confusing. Anyways, they're all here. No, no. It's not working. Technology. Okay, so we're going to start with 6, 5 through 9, okay? So go ahead, open in your Bible to chapter 6, and we can read 5 through 9 really quick. Okay. So, 5 through 9. Let's read it really quick. We've got, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man from whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So for this group, any observations... Who's, first of all, who's doing most of the talking? Yeah. God's doing the talking, okay? So God's the one talking here. He's not asking Noah for his opinion, okay? Um, but he's just saying, here's, how, here, here's what I see when I look out here, okay? Now, is there anything in here that stood out to you that's maybe surprised you or brought up a question? That's great, yeah. I mean, we're supposed to see that contrast, that chapter one, everything was good. And now, it, God is sorry that he made man on the earth, and it grieves his heart. Does that bother anyone, that it says God was sorry that he made everything? Okay, so that's something that some people might wrestle with. Like, what? You're God. Why did you make it? And then, you should have known this was going to happen, right? So, but there's a couple of different ways that you can take that word, that God said he was sorry he made it. It's not like God was surprised necessarily that all of this happened, but that it did grieve his heart how sin had entered into his beautiful and good creation. 
And so the point that I think we get from the first part is that sin breaks God's heart, but righteousness catches his eye. Okay, so sin breaks God's heart, but righteousness catches his eye, right? Because he says about the sin that he's going to destroy everything, but Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord, right? So he stands out to Noah, or Noah stands out to him. Now, in this, we should notice that Noah stands out against the people that he's around, right? So it's not that Noah is sinless. Noah's not perfect. That's not what this is telling us. But it says, compared to the people around him, Noah was righteous. And so one thing that we can take away from this is that we could ask ourselves is, what do I look like to the people around me? Okay, am I someone who stands out from those who are around me, or do I just tend to blend in with my surroundings? So Noah stood out because of his righteousness. Do I stand out from the crowd? Or do I just blend in with the people that I'm around? Okay, so that would be one thing for us to think through as we go through this. Okay, let's go on to the next part, okay? We are in verse 9 through 22, so it's basically the rest of chapter 6. And if we were to give, Joseph, just don't, don't read, but just give us a summary. What's the rest of chapter 6 talking about? How to build an ark. Okay, there's more, though. We talk about, starts off with how to build, who's, who's talking? God's doing all the talking. How to build an ark. Why do they need to build an ark? Flood's coming. Okay, we see that in verse 17. He says, for behold, I will bring a flood of waters. Okay, so you're building an ark because a flood's coming. And then verse 18, but there's one exception to the rule. What's the one exception to the rule? Okay, so yeah, so we've got that he's going to make a covenant with Noah to save them. Okay, so that's what the ark is for. It's to save Noah. And what does it say at the very end, verse 22? What do we know about Noah? He did it. Okay, so we see a couple things here. Noah's a righteous man at the beginning. Okay, so God recognizes him, tells him, I'm going to save you, I'm going to you're going to build an ark, that's why you're going to be saved, and Noah did it. Okay, and so the point that I think we get from this is that our God will judge sinners, but protects the righteous. Okay, so throughout this passage we see judgment is coming on sin, but God's going to protect the righteous. Now before we get to the application of it, um, I want to point out that this is actually the primary lesson that the New Testament uses the story of Noah to teach. So you guys know, like, when Jesus was growing up as a kid, Noah would have also been his childhood story, but not necessarily childhood. It would have just been the story that he would have learned, too. And same with Paul. Okay, they knew about Noah, and they used Noah in order to teach different principles. Okay, so let me read for you one of the principles. In Matthew 24, 36, Jesus says... Um, I didn't write it down there. Flip forward here. So Matthew 24, 36. Jesus says, but concerning that day and hour, let's back up a little bit. What day is he talking about? Okay, he's talking about, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So he's talking about judgment day here. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For, as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming days of the Son of Man. 
For as in those days, in Noah's days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So what is he saying about Noah's ark? What was that whole thing supposed to teach about? What do you guys think? What day is Jesus talking about? Judgment day, right? Okay, and he brings up Noah's ark because Noah's ark, this is a story of what? Of judgment, right? Okay, so Jesus is saying, Noah, the reason we study Noah is to learn about judgment and my second coming, judgment day, is going to come just like it came in Noah's day. The people were just going about their regular business and the flood came and they were all wiped away. Now, first of all, how does this kind of deviate from the way that we learn about Noah's Ark in our Bible stories? Do we learn that the people are just completely caught unaware by Noah's flood? By the flood that... No, what do we usually learn? What's usually happening in the stories that we learn about? The people are ridiculing Noah, right? The people are standing there making fun of Noah. Oh, why are you building an ark? You know, it's, it's sunny out. We're in the desert. It hasn't rained in a long time. And, and then when it starts raining, they're usually trying to climb onto the ark and they want to come in, but God shuts the door. Is that anywhere in here? No. Okay, so that has nothing to do with the passage, okay? The passage isn't about the interactions between Noah and the people. Have any of you heard of this movie that came out a couple years ago with Russell Crowe? Okay. It was real weird. Really weird. Yeah, we've got the rock monsters in there. And most of the story is the story of Noah's family and the other people around them, okay? Leading up to the flood. And so again, we find that those stories tend to be a lot more interesting than what the author of Genesis really wants us to see. The author of Genesis isn't concerned about what was happening. Now, it may have been happening. They might have been people making fun of Moses, making fun of him make, making a huge boat out in the middle of nowhere, but that's not what the author wants us to see. What the author wants us to see is that our God will judge sinners, but that our God also protects the righteous. Okay, that's what the point is that he's trying to get across here. And so I want you to think to yourself, how do I feel about Judgment Day? Because obviously Judgment Day, Noah's story and Judgment Day apply to us today. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Do you remember Noah? It's going to happen again. A day is coming when judgment is going to come on the whole earth again. And are you ready for it? Okay, that's what Jesus is saying there. Um, do you live in fear of Judgment Day? Is that something that when you hear about Judgment Day, it brings up warm, fuzzy feelings that that's the day that I'm looking forward to, that Christ is returning, I get to be united with God in heaven um, only because of what Christ has done for me, or is it a day that brings fear to you? Okay, so Peter also talks about it. And here's what Peter has to say. Peter says, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So Peter's takeaway from Noah is this. His takeaway is, if you are among the righteous, your God knows how to rescue you. He will rescue you. 
He will be able to keep you from the ungodly, from the world of the ungodly, from trials that come in this life, and one day he will rescue you. So our God will judge sinners, but he protects the righteous. This is a theme that we see throughout all of Scripture. On the third point, who's group number three? You guys are here, okay? So I gave you all of chapter seven, right? Okay, guys, open your books to chapter seven, and can you guys give us a brief um, kind of overview? What's the big idea of chapter seven? So we get a lot of the details of the flood in chapter 7, right? Okay? What are some of the things that maybe stick out to you? When we're reading this and we're reading details, 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 and then something doesn't talk about the details, it should stand out to us. Is there any verses that kind of stand out as you read through that? The answer is no, that's okay. <laughs> okay, so God's the one who shuts them in. God is definitely, I would say God's the main character here, right? God's telling them all the things to do. And Noah, you'll notice throughout this whole thing, all, what is the only thing it says about Noah? He's 600, tells us how old he is, okay? Yeah, he's the only one left, and that he did all that the Lord commanded him, right? That's the one that kind of repeats. God said all this stuff, and Noah did it. God said all this stuff, Noah did it. God said all this stuff, and Noah did it. Okay, yeah. Um, I think, you know, everything points to the fact that this was just a life raft. It was just, uh, they weren't going anywhere, they were just floating. Okay, so we see in here that, again, Noah is not really a huge part of the story, is he? He's not, like, having conversations with God. He's not the driving force. God is the driving force throughout the story. The whole story is about God executing his judgment on people. Now, did it raise any questions for you? Yeah? So like, so if the boat is above the tops of the mountains, the air is going to be thinner, right? Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. Now this gets us into some big, big, big questions, actually, about the flood. Okay? And we have to start thinking, um, how do we understand this? How do we understand the fact that it would take more water to flood the whole earth than exists on the earth today? Where did all the water go? Where did all the water come from? Um, yeah? It says um, here the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. So I think there's some power there. So just a divine intervention, okay? And that would definitely be one way for us to understand it, is it's just divine intervention. God can make water appear and God can make water disappear, okay? Now, there's some people who struggle with that, and some people would look for a more, what they might consider, um, scientific explanation, right? And so we have to 
this is something that we definitely have to wrestle with, and this is what a lot of people spend their time doing when they look at this text, is just wrestling with the science behind it. Um, to be honest, I'm still working it out in my own mind a little bit. Will you go to the center? Huh? The center the earth. The core of the earth? I'm like, it's dirty I know, and I, I actually read a commentary that hypothesized that, and it says, even still, it would not be enough to make a dent. So, these are good, those are good questions that I would be happy to talk to you about. Right, so there's, yeah, definitely a lot of hypotheses that we could go down. So let's go ahead and jump down uh, to the next section. <laughs> so we go through all of chapter 8, and I'm running out of time. I, I thought that this would speed it up since I wasn't going to read it all, but I was wrong. Let's jump down to chapter 8, verse 20 and 22. So you guys know the story. Noah sends out some birds. The birds go around for a while. Some come back, some don't. Um, the ark lands. And eventually, all of creation, or all of the animals get to come out. And then what happens? Verse 20 in chapter 8. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered a burnt offering. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For, this is interesting. So here's God's promise. I'm never going to do this again because I've started over and everything's good now. No, that's not what he says. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So what do we see here? What we see here is a promise of a gracious God. And number three, we see our God has promised to pursue us despite the fact that we remain sinful. So when God promises here at the end of the flood that he's never going to destroy the earth again, it's not because he's solved the problem. It's not because all the bad people were wiped out and now it's going to be hunky-dory for the rest of history. It's because he's a gracious God and he knows that the intentions of humanity are evil from the depths of their heart for their whole lives. And yet, as a gracious God, he's decided and promised to never destroy all of humanity in one shot again. Okay, so I'm going to jump on to number four because this is where it gets really interesting. In number four, we see that God can create and recreate. Now I want to point out something to you that's really interesting when you read the Genesis story. Don't go there, but just keep in mind, if you're back in chapter one, let me read how chapter one starts. Chapter 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This picture that we get from the very beginning is that the earth is water. There's just water everywhere, okay? And this is what God creates out of. And when God creates, what is hovering over the waters? His Spirit, okay? Now, what do we have in the flood? A whole lot of water, right? 
water covers the face of the earth again. And when you read this, it says towards the end, it says when God decides that the flood is over, it says that God blows a divine wind over the earth to start drying up the waters. Now what's interesting is the Hebrew word for spirit and the Hebrew word for wind are the exact same word. So in chapter 1, we have waters and the spirit, or wind, God's wind. And in the flood, we have waters and God's wind. And if we keep reading throughout chapter 9, what we find is when the ark lands, it says that all of the families of the ark come out of the ark by their families, by their different types. Now, what was creation? Creation was when God created each of the different types of the animals, one by one by one. Are you starting to see a parallel? As you read through the creation story, what happens is at the end of creating all of the animals, God pronounces a blessing. The blessing is, let them be fruitful and multiply. Now, if you'll look down at chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Okay, if we keep going, it says that God made man to have dominion and to be in charge of all the animals, right? Well, if you look at chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens. So we're talking about dominion. They're going to be in charge of the animals again. If you keep going, God gives them food, right? He gives them a garden to eat from. And it says at the end of 9, verse 2, that into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And all the plants that I gave you. So God gives them food. And if you keep going, God creates man in the image of God. And if you get to six, God talks again about how the image of God is still in man. And that's why you shouldn't murder man. There's this really importance about anything that murders man. And it ends again with this command to be fruitful and multiply. So what's happening here? Is it just a coincidence? Did the author kind of just like happen to make it all sound the same? No. What's happening here is God has not just destroyed the earth, but he's recreating the earth. It's showing us that he has the power both to destroy and the power both to create. Now, why does this matter for us? It matters for us because we are sinful and there are parts of us that need to be destroyed so that we can be recreated in the way that God wants us to be. And when you get to the New Testament, you come to 2 Corinthians 5.17 and you read this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so what we see is that God, throughout all of history, between the flood and judgment day, is still in the business of recreating, of recreating the earth and bringing it back to the way that he originally intended it to be. But he's not doing it by destroying it and starting over. He's doing it through the blood of Jesus Christ. That the way that the earth is being recreated is by people who come to Christ. And when they come to Christ, the old is washed away. Okay, a flood comes into their life. The old is washed away. Jesus becomes our ark. He's the thing that saves us. And at the end of the day, we come away as new creations, just like those things that came out of the ark, recreated for a new purpose in order to serve God. And so that's the importance of remembering back to the flood, that Judgment day is coming. God has created a way for us to be recreated. But we can't come away from the story without remembering that another flood is coming, that another judgment day is coming. Jesus said that the second coming is going to spring upon us just like the flood sprung upon the people in Noah's day, that no one will expect it, and only those who are in the ark will be saved. 
And so I want to take a minute just here to remind you, Jesus is our ark. Jesus is the only mode of salvation for us. And it's only those who remain in the ark that are going to be saved. It's not like you can just say, I like Jesus. I'm going to be near Jesus. I'm going to hang out around the ark. You have to consciously, day after day, remember that I need to be in the ark, staying in the ark. And the only way we can do that is by abiding in Jesus, taking time out of every day to abide with him, taking time to pray, taking time to be in our word, taking time to recommit our lives day after day after day and say, God, I need your help to follow you so that you will keep me in the ark for that day of judgment. And so I want to encourage you in that direction today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our ark, that you are our way of salvation, that you have created for us the path of salvation for the coming judgment day. So that that judgment day, whenever it comes, though it may catch us off guard, will not be a day of judgment and flooding and destruction. For the flood has already come. You've already wiped away the unrighteousness in us, that you actually took the flood for us on the cross, taking our sin, taking our punishment, so that we could be saved by your grace. And we thank you for this. And we help, ask that you help us to abide in you and remain in you until the day of judgment. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, thanks for coming. Come back Wednesday for small groups and good luck on all those exams. Yo, sir. No exams for